everybody, it's Microphones of Madness. I'm Rodney, over there, Steve. Hey, what you doing? <laughs> it might sound a little bit weird because we are recording these episodes back to back. Um, oh man, that like totally destroys the I know, I know, mystery. I just... I just showed everybody how the sausage was made. That's like a peek behind the curtain of mystery. Yeah, well, you know, I'm not the great and powerful Oz, and neither are you. But, uh, yeah, we are... Like I said last week, quote, unquote. Right. fuck am I? (laughs) (laughs) We are continuing our look at Wicked Weird, an anthology of New England horror writers, edited by Amber Fallon, Scott T. Goodsward, and David Price. I'm going to pronounce his name differently every episode. You pronounce Price the same as last time. Oh, I think there's only one way to say it. It's, I'm sorry, David Perse. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little fun, fun on David there. There you go. Uh, yeah, so we are... Uh, Called him Prissy. <laughs> We're uh, talking about the the second half of or second quarter of this book. Um, if you missed the last episode, what we do when we review anthologies is we go through each story individually, talk about things we like, talk about things we don't like, and occasionally go off on tangents about Saturday Night Live or John Constantine or something like that. Connecticut or Connecticut. Uh, maybe this time we'll get Belgium in the mix. Uh, <laughs> we got Belgium in the mix last time. Yeah. Maybe we'll get France in this time. All right. So, the first story on our list is uh, Pet Shop of the Gods by Rob Smales. I, I hope I'm saying that correct. Rob Smales. We're gonna... French. No. You know, all of these writers are going to write us at microphonesofmadness at gmail.com. And, uh... Big fuck you. Yeah, <laughs> fuck you. Fuck you, pal. Making fun of my name, making fun of my story. Because, you know, it's New England. Pause to say that this is an anthology by the New England Horror Writers. That's right. Hence the Connecticut jokes. Um, and every every one of these writers are uh, neighbors of mine mm-hmm. in the, the cold Northeast. Right. And also, just to remind everybody that uh, we're not you know, um, readers weekly publishers weekly or anything like that. We're not like, this is a bad comedy show. Uh, <laughs> so expect lots of bad comedy. The comedy's good. Yeah, that depends. Pet shop of the gods. Rob smales, uh, leads off. I had some problems with this one. Mm, I probably had similar problems with this one that, as you did. Those of you who are familiar with this show know that one of my pet peeves is utilizing um, non-Christian religions and making them part of the horror mythos that you happen to be um, working in. Mm-hmm. Or or interpreting aspects of, of those religions as being something kind of on the evil side. And in this story, we get kind of a an interesting... Uh, urban fantasy in premise would be right at home, um, you know, with with young adults and, and things like this. It could be like a very Harry Potter world. That Harry Potter going to the wand shop feel to it. Mm-hmm. And from from there, it, it it kind of degenerates. You know, 
without giving away too much because we want you to buy and read this and form your own opinions. Um, had the pet uh, not turned out to be a named thing from a culture that existed mm -hmm. um, and, you know, change the names to protect the innocent, whatever. Or it had been like something. No, nah, I think just changing the names to protect the innocent. Um, I think it would it would have served the story better mm -hmm. uh, because um, the unfortunate thing is we have. How do you say this or that? We have a certain cultural bias that paints this particular religion negatively. Mm hmm. Uh, mainly because uh, most of the information that we have, uh, firsthand accounts of this culture, are from conquerors. Right, right. Who are already viewing this as you know these these practices and these religious ceremonies as bestial, pagan, heathen, demonic. Yes. Um, from from the get go and. And we tend to have a have a cultural habit of when we want to think of a barbaric practice, you know, we just kind of cast an eye to our neighbors to the south. Yes. And you know, it's 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 not a good thing. It 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 doesn't treat those cultures with with any kind of respect. Right um, now, I'm gonna give. Um, uh, this guy, uh, Smales, Smalls, Smalls, um, the benefit of the doubt. Mm -hmm. And I don't think he did this maliciously. You're probably um, right. I, I really think that it is like one of the oldest like aspects of weird fiction to do this. And I think it's probably the thing in weird fiction besides overt racism, which n none of these stories have um, that really just needs to be um, just excised from from weird fiction. Mm -hmm. um, and I get it. A lot of weird fiction is, is you know, creating an other and and playing on the fear of, of the other and fear of the unknown. And this particular culture is definitely has always been um, looked at as like alien to uh, you know, Western civilization, blah blah blah. Uh, so I think it's it's like an easy way to to portray an other and to to create fear. Mm -hmm. um, I don't agree with that though, and I think that you could have done the same thing with um, by, like I said, changing the names to protect the innocent. Right. Although anybody who has a passing familiar familiarity with this culture um, would recognize what's happening right away. Mm -hmm. And uh, I would say even if, I mean, I, I had it nailed before the big name reveal. Right. Um, you know, and there was an attempt to kind of change the names to protect the innocent with the, um, the dialect of the pet shop owner. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. I think that was more of a trying to make it, mysterious mm -hmm. okay I'll, I'll give you I'll, I'll give you that one but um yeah i think you're spot on uh with your analysis that this is a this is a trope that uh does need to kind of be excised uh from weird fiction and you or or you know 
find find another way to to do it. Um, you know, there there are you know create your own mythical culture. You know, make it make it a you know it's kind of the same thing as uh, the Stygians in in Hi- in Hyboria. You know, that's this culture is treated as quote unquote evil. And we were talking about it the other day in regards to like Dungeons and Dragons and stuff like that. And other like orcs being in the book as just inherently an evil race. Right. Of of beings. And, you know, and that's, and that is problematic. And it kind of, it's, it's kind of a, 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 a crutch of sorts to, to rely on this kind of, uh, view of the world in the but 21st century. It's, it's part of that shorthand, um, that writers can use. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like the downside of that shorthand, right? Where like, uh, Robert E. Howard was really adept at creating, um, you know, these civilizations with broad strokes, mm-hmm. uh, because he, he depended on your knowledge of European and, uh, Asian history, right? Um, to to create these things, so you fill in the blanks. Mm-hmm. And the flip side of that is uh, some of those blanks that you fill in aren't all that um, particularly nice. Blanks. That's that's true. That's true. So, that's all I'm going to say about this story. That's right. That's right. Let's stop beating up on Rob because the story itself, I think, had like a little tweaking been done. Obviously, it's not the last thing I'm going to say. Had a little bit of tweaking been done to this story and just like take it away from from that cause of what's going on. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I think, you know, it was a good story. You know, it had uh, was a nice revenge from bullying story. And even, you know, you know, the tables are turned. Right. I I can't really say that uh, I was a big fan of how this story came to its climax. Um, you know, where where it ended um, was just, uh, just a bit much, I think. Uh, especially within the context of this, this trope. Right. What I'm saying is, all right, substitute, spoiler alert, for something else. Mm-hmm. Like Myrlathotep, right? Okay. And it's Nyarlathotep instead of spoiler. Okay. And then write the story that way, and boom, it's serviceable. It's like you could have the almost the exact same story. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not like dogging on um, ancient civilizations and their and the religions that accompany them, right? Um, but you still get the same story, right? And I think I would in in that case had had I would have the same reaction to the end of that story. Okay. But that has that's that's a different altogether different thing though. Mm-hmm. Right, right, and we really can't discuss that because that would be a spoiler. Right, a serious spoiler for this particular story. Yes. Next up, we have uh, Saint Scholastica's Home for Children of the Sea by Emma J. Gibbon. Uh, this t- this story was really kind of sweet. Yeah, and, this is a cool story. Yeah. Um. Once again, this could be, you know, it has the makings of a, of a good. Uh, well, actually, you know, even even through to the end, this story um, did 
have kind of an uplifting sort of spirit to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, we have what we have is a a, a young woman uh, is sent to work at Saint Scholastica's home, which is an orphanage um, for some mysterious children. And it goes through and it kind of builds up a little, and it's not even really tension. It's, you know, the girl is kind of, she's sent there, you know, at first kind of, you know, oh, well, you know, if I must, I must. But then she's like, you know what, you know, this was actually the best idea I've ever had in my, you know, my mother has ever had. Yeah, um, she, she enjoyed it. Right. She's, she's doing menial tasks and things like this. You know, she's doing laundry. She's, you know, bringing soap up to the bathrooms and, and, and things like this. But, you know, she's enjoying the work. She she feels that she's contributing something to to something higher than herself. And and she has a very positive attitude about it. And even when things start getting weird, she maintains this positive and, and compassionate attitude. And it's rare that you see a character in these types of stories actually hold on to their own, uh, dare I say, morality, uh, their own conscience, so to speak. Um, right. She doesn't sell out. Yeah, she doesn't. She doesn't sell out. The the our narrator uh, practices exactly what she preaches, and that that's what is the strength of this story. Is that you know this this story, though has elements of horror, um, one does flip the script and and change tweak who the monsters are right um you know which but is I, I feel uh, these days like, pretty classic yeah i feel like that like at this point um that isn't a huge like shocker anymore right right no it's it's kind of it's kind of a, a sign of the times but i i i like the story and i think that this makes a really good introduction to something bigger. Mm-hmm. I think you, you, there's like an, enough in this that you can mine it for um, like a, maybe a collection of stories. Mm-hmm. You know, where, the, where, the idea of real small character driven pieces. Yeah. Based around the day to day of the, the particulars yeah, of this orphanage. It's got like that. I mean, you know how like a, you just get a feel for like uh like lemony snicket or something like that mm-hmm. or you have that um serial i guess it, it would make a really good character driven serial piece mm-hmm. like a- almost um set up like old old uh well serial <laughs> right right it also has kind of a, a the sound of music type of thing without uh the song and dance numbers <laughs> well i mean Netflix could probably put those in if they wanted that, to. No. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, my apologies to Emma, but if they made this story into a musical, I'm, I'm sorry. I, 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 It would be really difficult for me to back it unless those songs are like kick-ass. <laughs> could be. Right. Get Pete Townsend to write them. Oh, Pete Townsend. That's like, that's like his thing now. He does musicals now. Right. Maybe maybe Lin-Manuel Miranda. Maybe Pete Townsend and Lin-Manuel Miranda working together. And, but and, I, I think that um, of all the stories that I've read, I think this one has the most potential to to 
become a series. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and also, you know, being that where it was placed in the book, it was a, a, a very refreshing sorbet uh, for the palate after, uh, you know, the, the ending of Pet Shop of the Gods. And, you know, it's like, and one of the few stories that we see in this type of fiction that really doesn't go bleak. It maintains positivity all the way through, and and I I enjoyed that about the story. And I would like to see more stories that are quote unquote weird that maintain some sort of of positivity. Happy weird, happy weird. Maybe I I don't know if I'd really call it happy weird, but that's probably what it'd end up being called. You know, joy joy punk. Joy punk. <laughs> Isn't there already? Wouldn't somebody try and coin that already? I seem to remember. There was I I don't know, but it, you know, if if, if not, I want to nickel every time somebody says that. <laughs> That's going to end up with that woman, um, Condor, on a gallows, pointing at things, saying that does not bring you joy. Oh boy! <laughs> All right. Uh, next up on the list is The Mass of the Greatest Sin by Trisha J. Woodridge. Um, yeah, I is, didn't know what to make of this one. Right. I'm just going to be honest with you. Yeah, it's it's definitely it's definitely on the stranger side. And, well, and it is weird, wicked weird. Yeah, it, it definitely falls under that category. But it's, it's difficult <clears throat> to... Talk about it in a non-spoilery way. Yes. Uh, and but what we what we begin with is a kind of a horror story of a different type, and one that is all too real for a lot of people. Yes. Uh, and you know we'll we'll spoil that part. Um, a major theme running through this story is is body shaming and low self esteem. Yes. That takes on a a horror twist. Yes. And yeah, I mean it's it's a little tough because our our narrator is is very very negative, and it's, she's like almost delusionally negative. Mm-hmm. So I think that there's a it's one of those things that if you're it's hard to be objective reading this. Mm-hmm. Um, but like even though I think some of the people are genuine. Mm-hmm. Um, in in this story, some of the people that she interacts with are genuine in this story. Mm-hmm. She's just been beaten down her entire life to the point where just everyone she interacts with, she sees as an adversary, right? Or or disingenuous at best, right? Um, right, and and we we are treated to to ride to a ride along. Inside of this very dark place in our narrator's head. The thing is, though, I can I can relate to that mm-hmm. to a certain extent. Uh, I mean, we all go through you know ups and downs in our days, but I've, I mean, I definitely have had days where I think everyone is uh, out to get me. Mm-hmm. You know, and and it's you know it's all in my head, most right. of it. Um, but you know. It, you know, people who, who do suffer from low self-esteem, um, you know, it's, this definitely uh, hits 
hits home. And whether your low self-esteem is because of your body image or because of, um, you know, your personality or whatever, you're an introvert, blah, 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 whatever. Mm-hmm. You just don't think you're good enough. Um, you know, you go through periods like this, but it seems like this woman just goes through it completely all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just, that's, that's, that's rough. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, and it is kind of a being isolated in, in the midst of a bunch of people. And, yeah. you know, it, it's, it, it's a difficult story to get through. It, you know, it really is. Um, you know, whereas St. Scholastica's has very positive and uplifting, this one kind of like weighs on your on your mind a little bit as you're reading through. Yeah, and it definitely. is, and it is, uh, it's one of the longer stories we've covered so far. Uh, yeah, I think it's the longest one that we've had. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm not sure about how it crossed into the the horror territory. The, the more traditional horror territory, because, you know, throughout the f- first least half of the story, um, it is very much psychological horror and it is very much a real, you know, psychological horror. And to to a to an extent where it's almost too real at points. Yeah. You know, but, I mean, some... it does its job because it gets you thinking about that, mm-hmm. you know, and how um you know, even like a, a what you can would consider a compliment mm-hmm. or a, you know, a positive thing could be misinterpreted uh, by someone who just like is just been, you know, battered their entire lives about, you know, about their own self-image. That's true. That's true. And so, yeah. Um, yeah, I would say. You, you, you know, since this is a, a mixture of, of stories from different authors um, that aren't like chronologically or thematically tied together, uh, you could really start the, your read through of this book uh, with this story. Yeah, I would actually like to see more of uh, Trisha J. Woodridge, because um, I don't think we said her name. Or maybe we did. Anyway, we'll reiterate we it. Um, I'd like to see more of her work because it really like got to me mm-hmm. like in that way, usually like in an anthology like this, there's like a couple that I'll just reread because I get like this total, what the fuck did I just read? Right. And then I'll reread them and I don't have time for that when we're doing it for the show. Right. Exactly. <laughs> but this would definitely be one of them. Yeah. It's, it's, it is difficult um, sometimes just given the format of, of the podcast and how, uh, we are weekly and, you know, so we have to get through this stuff, you know, quickly to, to bring, you know, get the episode done. And so, you know, you might listen to us and go, man, you guys are overthinking this stuff. It's like, well, imagine if we took longer than a week, <laughs> we'd never get through anything. Right, we'd have to do one episode per story. Um, yeah, and so, yeah, I would definitely say if you grab this anthology, uh, check out this story first, um, and then from there, read it in any particular order. Uh, next up on our list is The Painted Girl by Paul R. Mc- McNamee? McNamee. 
Sorry. Wow. Sorry. Well, once again, we apologize if, for screwing up everybody's Fuck. names. Fucked up New England names, man. Fucked up New England names. Yep. So there we go. That's that's we had to like kind of kind of lighten the McNamee. Yeah. <laughs> we do this every time. Yes. We All do. right. So this is a story that is thematically very close to our hearts, uh, being that it is, and you know. This is not really a spoiler. It is It is a King in Yellow story. I yeah. love this story. I thought a lot about this story because it almost, almost touches on um, what made Pet Shop of the Gods rub me the wrong way. Uh-huh. And it kind of does, it kind of creeps up to that and then flips it mm-hmm. and, and it makes it like, okay, I can live with this. And I like this story a lot. It does it. It does it a little. It does it better for sure. Um, taking the native culture, uh, in this case Navajo culture, and blending it with uh, King and Yellow uh, mythos and Carcosa as kind of you know these aren't the old ways. These are the very old ways. That, yeah, this is you like, know that this this is like, not these are cultists. Right. These are like every, every Navajo worships the king in yellow. Right. This is these are the cultist Navajo. Mm-hmm. These are the quote unquote degenerate Eskimos. Right. These are this this particular group is uh, outside the norm. Yes. By not only you know Europeanish standard, but also by Navajo standard. But, but it goes even further than that because the the whole king and yellow ish part of it mm-hmm. is used as part of a, a a protection. Sorry, I'm spoiling some of it of the Navajo of right. this particular group of Navajo on the reservation. Right. So it's even better because it's like it 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 doesn't really other them. It doesn't make them alien. Right. At all. Right, and and King in Yellow is one of those interesting things um, as a as a as a universe to create stories in that doesn't always have to necessarily point toward something sinister. Yes, it's strange, um, but it it's more of a romantic ideal sort of thing. I thought it was hella sinister. I just thought that. Um, the sinister was directed towards those who possibly deserve the sinister, mm-hmm. as opposed to normally, um, you know, if you read the, the, you know, the short story collection, you know, with the possible exe- exception of the first one, these people aren't like um, bad people. They're not decadent uh artists and painters and stuff like that they you know the cultists of the king in yellow in this story are very normal people yeah i mean they're like dudes that you know yep people you would meet on the street um and and you, you know, know the protagonists of a lot of king in yellow stories are are these people well some people we know probably would know people like this or are people like them uh like in the original stories. Artie farty. Right. 
you know, and how how often do you meet them? I mean, you know, Steve and I are both kind of like really uh, blue collar kind of folk, and you know, there's there's a certain level. I'm sorry, I'm in no collar. You're wearing a t-shirt. Well, I'm wearing a t-shirt too, but yeah. I wear a t-shirt to work. Hey, it's a figurative thing, man. Figurative. Um, you know, and there's the, that sort of um, that society that most of the King and Yellow stories take place in is kind of like mm, depends a, on who's writing them, right? Depending on who's writing them, but there's overall, certain, that whole um, expatriate, right, decadent author. art movement. Um, well, well no, I'm talking about an expatriate author who writes um, King Yellow stories, mm-hmm. whose protagonists are serial killers. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> but you know, I wasn't, I wasn't speaking necessarily of Mister Pulver. Uh, I didn't mention anything. I was, I was thinking, I was thinking of Chambers himself and and a few right. others. Uh, um, Ch- Chambers and and the general, um, I guess the the general. Um, trope for King and Yellow, right? Linking it, it to "quote unquote" high culture, but that's not necessarily true. When we read, um, what was the one we read um, from the Haster book? Um, uh, River Night Stream. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't like I guess like the the protagonist wasn't particularly arty, right? And this story has more in common. With River of Night Streaming, than say uh, the uh, um, shoot the Hour of the Dragon, I believe. Hour of the Dragon's Conan story. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. Yeah, the Hour of the Dragon's Conan story. The oh, shoot, I've forgotten all my King and Yellow story titles. Fuck. I just happen to have a copy of King and Yellow right here. Oh. <laughs> <clears throat> And for our second act of the, the trick of the evening, Steve will in read from Act Two. In the Court of the Dragon. Thank you. Jesus. Here. Yeah. I'll, adver- I'll advertise it. Yeah. Uh, now, if you do us a favor, save me from all of my uh, flubs and gaffes and uh, read from the second act of The King in Yellow. Oh, yeah, I can do that. It's right here. Uh, no, not the actual second act. Not. Oh. Oh, I have Act 1, Scene 2. Sorry. Yeah, that's Act 1, Scene 2. I mean... Oh, wait. I have the second act in uh, more light. Right. <laughs> James Glish wrote the second act. Right. And you've read that and you're still around, so it's not really the second Am act. I? Am I? Yes. Am I? Our final story this evening is Reclaimed by William D. Carl. Um... This this story is it, it, it's one of the other stories that fires on all cylinders of the classic weird tale, without all the problematic elements that you see in a lot of uh, the old school stories. Under the sea, <laughs> uh, yeah. So you you have a ship's captain uh, who they're not sure where they are. They're lost in a fog. They're going to they're going to meet somebody for nefarious purposes, right? And you know they're like, okay, I'll scout ahead real quick, see where we are in relation to the coast. And our sea captain has a strange adventure uh, involving uh, creatures 
and your people. I mean, really, they're people. Yes. Um, My only complaint mm-hmm. with this story, and it's completely pedantic, is that the word aqualine means eagle-like. Not, not aquatic. Not aquatic. Right. <laughs> That's my only qualm with this story. Right. Is that kind of... Uh, I'll admit that got to me because, you know, I've, I've looked at... I remember reading Dracula as a kid. Mm-hmm. And that word comes up in the description in the description of, of Count Dracula. Right. And I had no idea what it meant because, you know, I'm like a, you know, 11-year-old kid or whatever. So I looked it up. And I distinctly remember doing that because I never look words up. Mm-hmm. You just let it ride and I context clues. I'm better at it now because everything's electronic and, and you know, it's more laziness than anything. Right. I can just, you know, press a button and there it is. Telephone robot assistant. What does Aqualine mean? I don't have to even do that. I just highlight the, the word and press ah. it up. Boom, there it goes. Ah. So... That is that's my only complaint with this, with with that particular story is Aqualine. Right, right, and I mean it does follow the tropes so much that you know the the big shocking reveal really uh-huh. isn't all that shocking. And it was enough difference though, right? Because it wasn't Innsmouth. Right, it wasn't Innsmouth. It wasn't. Uh, it was it was a riff on deep ones who have like you know pervaded um, you know the weird slash Lovecraft or particularly the Lovecraftian side of the weird um, with you know kind of omnipresence they're they're everywhere. I mean you need a you need a char- a, a, a character or a creature you need a lobster pot right. <laughs> you go for a deep one. Um. And this story, no, you don't. You have uh, a, a, it switches it up a little bit, and you don't have this kind of, you know, um, nefarious. It's actually the weird element of this story is treated as very normal uh, by the uh, the other characters that we meet, or primarily the the one character who has a major speaking role. It is true. It's very, very even like structurally. It's very reminiscent of those old tales where it's all description, first person description, and you don't get a lot of conversation until the big climax. Mm-hmm. And and then you have yeah, so you have a lot of atmospheric stuff though. Yeah, and, and really cool stuff like sides of cliffs falling into the sea. It's foggy. Mm-hmm. You know, you, it. it it's built up really well. And I think, you know, uh, going along with the theme of the story of, you know, the uh, land and sea, um, the, the, the barriers between the land and the sea, blah, blah, blah. Um, the, the, just what, what happens physically mm-hmm. um, really hits, hits that theme home. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, it has a very, uh, very kind of reminiscent of uh, the the climaxes of uh, the fall of House of Usher in in, yeah. in some respect. Uh, you know, the whole middle of it is, of course, is different, but it's kind of evocative of that type of that type of atmosphere, just you know, uh, clinging to you like a like a North Atlantic fog. 
and it turned out to be uh, the best way to end the first half of the book. There you go. So, yep, here we are, 11 stories in. Uh, Catch us next time for uh, the next five stories in the the book, uh, the third quarter. So, until then... Keep 30 luck points. Keep 30 luck points. Have a good one.